right, all right. You love each other. We get it. We've got a Bible study to get to. Well, let's go before the Lord in prayer because we're going to jump straight into chapter 29, the Palestinian covenant, otherwise known as the land covenant. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Let's ask for the Lord's blessing this evening. Father, we pray that you would continue to guide and direct us as you're so faithful to do week after week, day after day. And we pray that as we dig into your word, you would continue to write it on the tablets of our heart. Equip us, encourage us, strengthen us, correct us when we need correcting, Lord, so we can go out into the world and be used by you for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as I was saying, chapters 29 and 30 are known as the Palestinian Covenant. They're an unconditional promise of God to the nation of Israel. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Now, they've begun to use the name the Land Covenant because that word Palestinian has a lot of partic- uh, political overtures to it, a lot of drama going on with that. And so when we're speaking about the nation of Israel, this is what's going to be called the Land Covenant. Now, I personally... This is opinion time. We know what that means, right? If it's just an opinion, we're going to sift through it through the word of God. I believe that the majority of this land covenant, this unconditional promise from God, is for the future. In Romans chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, it says that a partial hardening has happened in Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and thus all Israel will be saved. And so there's a special promise to the nation of Israel. We're going to talk about all those things. I just wanted to whet your appetite before we jump into the text here. And we'll start with verses 1 through 4, chapter 29. These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant which he made with them in Horeb. Now Moses called all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the land did, or excuse me, all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and all his servants and to all his land. The great trials which your eyes have seen, the signs and those great wonders. Yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes, excuse me, and eyes to see and ears to hear to this very day. And so... It's been 40 years before this first covenant happened in the land of Horeb, and that's at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 24 when Moses receives the law that is to be given to the nation of Israel. And 40 years has happened since that time, and every single person that was there except for Moses, Joshua, and Caleb has passed away in the desert. So all those guys and gals and kids, they're all gone. And so now before they go into the promised land of the land of Jordan, Land of Jordan. I don't know what is wrong with me today. It must have been a long day today. But to cross the Jordan River into the promised land, they're going to receive this new covenant or a refreshing of this covenant from the Lord. Remember, it's unconditional. That means there's no ifs. Remember the last chapter, there was a bunch of ifs. In chapter 28, it said, if you do this, this will happen. If you do that, that will happen. It's completely changed here in these next two chapters. Now, we're going to see something that I want all of us to see. It says there, these great trials that your eyes have seen, these signs, these wonders, these miracles, and it lists them. And then what does it say there in verse 4? It is terrifying. 
Yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see to this very day. So what the Lord is speaking through Moses, telling the people of Israel before they go to the promised land, hey, all these miracles that we've been through, the manna, the wars, the fighting, the plagues, the ten plagues over in Egypt, the deliverance against Pharaoh, all these miracles you've seen, and you still don't see what this is about. And you're, you're not going to perceive it. So what is he talking about specifically? He's going to be speaking to the nation of Israel corporately as a country. Because remember in the last chapter, we said that those ifs, if you do this, if you do that, was only for the nation of Israel. It's not for us, the new believer that is walking in grace, the grace of our Lord under the new covenant. The same thing's happening here. The nation of Israel corporately, they don't understand what they're doing. They're just walking with the Lord. And we see it over and over again. Their hearts are in rebellion. And so the application to us is how many miracles are we walking every single day? The Lord's providing for us. He's feeding us, especially here in the United States of America. We have air conditioning right now. We have lights that dim. We have microphones. We have in the sanctuary here fans that are giving us some cool air. We got a dehumidifier over there for this low country atmosphere that we have. We all came here in vehicles or we walked in nice pairs of shoes. All of us are clothed very, very well. We go to our homes, which are taken care of. Most of us have jobs. Some of you are even retired. I mean, we live a life of miracles every single day, and yet we fail to perceive what God has gifted us and how he's walking with us every single day. And that's what's happening here with the nation of Israel. Look at all these miracles that God has done for them, and they can't even see it. What do we see with the nation of Israel? Complaining, rebelling, rebelling, backbiting, whining. Well, what is it with all our whining? Why, why are we complaining about all these things? The Bible says in the New Testament, we're to do all things without murmuring or complaining. And it's so contagious. Here, God is calling them out. And he's telling them all these things. I'm going to bless you with all these things no matter what, but you don't even see what this is really about. So what was it really about? Yes, the land. But this is about God revealing who he is to the world. Remember, the nation of Israel was to be a kingdom of priests, but they failed. They were to be a light to the world, but they failed in the flesh. So who is the king of kings and who is the light of the world is Jesus Christ. He never failed. And so let's read now verses 5 through 9 as it continues. And I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you and your sandals have not worn out on your feet. You have not eaten bread, nor have you drunk wine or similar drink, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. And when you came to this place, Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, came out against us to battle, and we conquered them. We took their land and gave it as an inheritance to the Reubenites, to the Gadites, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh. Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them, that you may prosper in all that you do. All these victories, all these miracles, all these blessings. And yet, as we study the nation of Israel as a people group, we see them constantly complaining. God gave them victory after victory. Every time they were obedient to the Lord and did what he said, he blessed them and prospered them. 
But then they would backlight, rebuke, gossip, be in rebellion. Well, how many things do we need before we're finally happy and we're satisfied? Why, why do we come to God and be like, yes, God, that was great, but can I please have this? Lord, if I could just have this, if I could just have another relationship, if I could just have another house, if I could just have another job, if I could just have another car, Lord, if you could just bless me with teenagers that behave. Now, there's a miracle. All these things that we're just constantly begging and begging, and all the Lord is asking, he's revealed himself to all of us through the word of God and through the Holy Spirit, through each other. He's given us so many blessings here. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, what does it say? It says, godliness with contentment is great gain. But what does it take to be content? Last week we laid down the challenge, which was, what plus God do we need? We have a relationship with the true and living God. What more do you need to, ha- to be happy, to be content, to be satisfied? To sit, as the Bible says, by still waters and green pastures where he leads us, where you can have contentment. To lay your head down at night in peace, knowing God is on the throne and he gave his only begotten son for you. What plus that do we need? For the nation of Israel, a little bit more. Always a little bit more. One example is the manna. Remember, they were not satisfied with the manna. They got bored with it. They're literally having God give them a superfood out of nowhere every single day. Yeah, but we want quail. We want some meat. Amazing that our nature has never changed. The Bible is proven true over and over again. All of us fallen, all of us wrestling against the flesh. And yet, God is going to give the nation of Israel these unconditional promises. So let's read verses 10 through 15 now. All of you stand today before the Lord your God, your leaders and your tribes and your elders and your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones and your wives, also the stranger who is in your camp, from the one who cuts your wood to the one who draws your water, that you may enter into covenant with the Lord your God and into his oath, which the Lord your God makes with you today. Verse 13, that he may establish you today as a people for himself and that he may be God to you just as he has spoken to you and just as he has sworn to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Verse 14, very important. I make this covenant and this oath, not with you alone, but with him who stands here with us today before the Lord our God, as well as with him who is not here with us today. So he's making this promise. And he's to the nation of Israel, all that stand before you, all that stand before the Lord your God. Now, we're going to talk now. And we're going to hit some nerve points because some people are going to be upset with one perception and some are going to be upset with another. And as long as I'm biblical, I don't care. But God has made a covenant that does not change with the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel has a unique position. They are God's chosen people. There is something that is called replacement theology. Now, replacement theology is a section of the church that believes that God is no longer interested in the nation of Israel, that they did not choose Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and now the church has replaced Israel, and all these promises are for the church. That is incorrect. 
God does not lie. He never changes. He doesn't, oh, quick, take backsies, change my promise here. Oh, no, that's not what I really meant by my promise. There is a solid covenant of God that we see to this day that is unique to the nation of Israel as a people group. That being said, so some people get triggered by that. Well, that's what the scripture says. It is dangerous for us in the Christian church to believe that Israel is above reproach. They are in rebellion to Jesus Christ. A Jewish person cannot be saved apart from accepting Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And it is very dangerous for the church to take a blind eye to things that Israel are doing when they are in the wrong. Now, we all understand there's propaganda against them. There are lies against Israel. But some within the church take that covenant too far. They're in rebellion to God. Now, God is going to protect them supernaturally. He is going to continue to preserve the nation of Israel all the way through the tribulation. But they cannot be given a blank check. Well, if they're God's chosen people, they can just do what they want to. God's just going to bless them. Absolutely not. Salvation comes through Jesus Christ alone. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. And so as spiritual or religious as a person can be, how fervent they can be, how intense their devotion can be, without Jesus Christ, it is a waste of time. Now, this is dangerous because you have two sides of the pendulum, right? We have one side of the pendulum that says, no matter what they do, God's going to bless them, so we need to be on board. We have another side of the pendulum here that says, oh, God's given up on them. They're, just, they're the worst people on the face of the planet. None of those things are true. All the promises of God are yes and amen. And Jesus Christ is going to return to Jerusalem and establish his kingdom for a thousand-year reign. He will take the church up. There will be a seven-year tribulation, and he's going to supernaturally preserve his people. And the church is going to return with him to rule and reign for a thousand years. No replacement theology. Now, it's very important for some of us that may have found ourselves going too far one way on the pendulum. Nope, we want to do what the Lord is telling us when he wants to do it. Some of us are going to be being introduced to some of these things. You've never heard them ever. And we want to start asking some questions and seeing what the Bible says. And then we want to see and rightly divide the word of truth. These things never change. God never changes his promises. I praise the Lord. He is never going to replace me with anything else because he bought me on the cross and he will not change his mind. But we are standing in dangerous ground. Now, there are others who begin to use these covenants, especially if it's replacement theology, and say, well, all these promises are to the church for us today. Everything's going to work out. You're going to get your land. God's going to prosper you and he's going to bless you. And everything's going to be great. You're going to be healthier, wealthier, happier. And if you don't have those things, then it's obviously your lack of faith. Well, when we see the scripture in the 2020 vision, 2020 vision means the 20 verses before, the 20 verses after. And we see it in its context. We see these promises are for the nation of Israel. And in my opinion, they will not be fully fulfilled until the Lord returns. But when you have different doctrines, this is the danger. Many people interpret the Bible through their doctrine instead of the Bible interpreting their doctrine. 
You see what I'm saying here? They, they attack the Bible with the lens of whatever they want to believe, and they'll make the text say whatever that doctrine is, as opposed to reading the Bible plainly and then seeing how your doctrines change to conform with the Word of God. Uh, fill in the blank of your hardcore doctrine, Calvinism, uh, replacement theology, others and others and others, cessationism. Some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. I just want to learn about Jesus. It's like, well, don't worry, we're there. But we've got to address a few things because I want to make sure you're well taught. All right. We good with that? We got all of the uh, theology out of the way? No such thing as getting the theology out of the way. Hopefully you're not taking me literal on that. Let's read verses 16 through 20. For you know that we dwelt in the land of Egypt, that we came through the nations which you passed by, and you saw their abominations and their idols which were among them, wood and stone and silver and gold, so that there may not be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations, and that there may not be among you a root bearing bitterness or wormwood. And so it may not happen... When he hears the word of this curse, excuse me, verse 19. And so it may not happen when he hears the words of this curse that he blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace even though I follow the dictates of my heart, as though the drunkard could be included with the sober. Verse 20. The Lord would not spare him. For then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy would burn against that man, and every curse that is written in this book would settle on him, and the Lord would blot out his name from under heaven. And you're like, what in the world is he talking about? That turned pretty quickly. What does he mean there? So already the warning we have seen over and over and over again, the warning is do not follow the idols. Do not worship false gods. Stay with the Lord. Stay with the Lord. And we saw the blessings and the cursings in chapter 28, a very long chapter with a lot more cursing than there was blessing. You guys remember that? And he's saying stay with him. Now, these scriptures are more relevant today than ever. Mike, you just told me that all those things are for the nation of Israel. Yeah, but wait till you see the application here. The warning is that if you just feel good, in the text it says, I have peace, is the rhetorical section, is the rhetorical statement there. If you're saying that you have left God and you begin to worship the idols that are in there, and you're like, man, I feel really good doing this. He's saying it's a lie. It's a complete lie. And it says here in verse 19, he blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace, even though I follow the dictates of my heart. He's saying, I feel like, well, it feels good, therefore it must be good. You know, I'm just going to compromise. I'm just going to add some of these things. I didn't die. This is awesome. And that's when this uh, next analogy applies, because apart from itself, it doesn't make any sense. It says, as though the drunkard could be included with the sober. It's like, what does that mean, and how does that fit in the context? It's a saying, if you're drunk, you feel great. You feel like you're smart, you're funny, you're strong, you're intelligent. I mean, when you're under the influence of something else, your perception is not real. 
And when you put a drunk person around sober people, it's not so funny anymore. It is not funny when you're watching people act like that. And they're thinking in their mind they're having a great conversation with you. But the sober person is looking at that person drooling on themselves and mumbling. And it's like, what is going on here? What the Lord is saying here is that when you walk away from the Lord and you go to the things of this world, you're not trusting in the Bible and his word and you're trusting in your own feelings and your own emotions. And you're like, well, I can compromise. It feels great. It's a lie. And in your mind, you, you feel content. You have peace. When we say, well, you need to be, to have, be a strong Christian, you, know, you need to be reading and prayer and, and, and fellowship. Well, in your mind, you may be like, well, I just need a vacation. I need to get away from all these people. You know what? Let's go book that trip to Las Vegas. You know, when in Rome, let's be like, you know, all things are lawful. That's what Pastor Mark, Mike said. You know, all things are lawful, but I will not come under the power of any. I'm just going to ex- explore some grace. And you're like, man, this feels good. And you're out there and you're having a good time. They said I would die. They said that everything would be great. They said, that, they said everything would be terrible. They, they said that my life would fall apart, that I'd fall away from the Lord. No, no, no. It's, this is feeling awesome. I'm having a great time. It's a trap. The warning here is for the nation of Israel. You're going to go across the Jordan. I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. You are my people. You're going to be called by my name. But when you say to yourself, oh, yeah, just this feels good. I'm going to do it. It's a trap. And nothing's changed. Nothing new under the sun. It's all the same thing. Now, we could take that interpretation for worshiping idols to actual drug abuse. You know, when you are smoking something, taking something, shooting up something, sniffing something, for those few moments, you're going to feel amazing. You're going to feel like you're on top of the world. Drinking that stuff, whatever the compromise is. But it's all a lie. It's an illusion. And because you believe it in your brain, you may start to act out and continue to seek after that over and over and over again, and you're replacing it with the true and living God. You're replacing it with your relationship with Him. You're replacing it with the things that are real. And for many people, they're trying to escape from a difficulty. And what they need to do is the hard thing, to, say, to stick with the Lord. Because there are real consequences to not following after the Lord. And that's what we're going to see here in verses 21 through 28. And then we're also going to get some reassurance at the same time. Verse 21. And the Lord would separate him from all the tribes of Israel for adversity, according to all the curses of the covenant that are written in this book of the law. And there were plenty, weren't there? Verse 22. So that the coming generation of your children who rise up after you and the foreigner who comes from a far land would say when they see the plagues of that land and the sicknesses which the Lord has laid on it. Verse 23, the whole land is brimstone, salt and burning. It is not sown, nor does it bear, nor does any grass grow there like overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and his wrath. Verse 24. All nations would say, why has the Lord done so to this land? What does the heat of this great anger mean? Then the people would say, because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. 
for they went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods that they did not know and that he had not given to them. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against this land to bring on it every curse that is written in this book. And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger, in wrath, and in great indignation, and cast them into another land as it is this day. So we're making personal applications, and we're going to do that again. But first, let's go back to the nation of Israel. Uh, J. Vernon McGee, in his commentary, he tells a story of uh, a famous doctor, a uh, theological professor, going to the nation of Israel with a friend of his. Now, this is way back in the day, so they're not traveling by bus or by train or by plane. They're traveling by train. And so they're going through Turkey with Asia Minor. They're coming down to Israel, and they get to Israel, and they're in the back of the, the caboose. That's the last um, train trailer on the back, the last cabin. And they're all the way back there. And the man says, I thought this was the land flowing of milk and honey. It's, it's terrible. It's just desert and rock. And J. Vernon talks about how the theological professor, he opens the Bible to this verse. And what does it say in verse 23? The whole land is brimstone, salt, and burning. It is not sown, nor does it bear, nor does any grass grow there like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah. That these things are happening. You know, the nation of Israel did go to idolatry. The nation of Israel did compromise. And God allowed them to be taken into captivity for 70 years. And then they were brought back into the land. But we're going to see or we saw that those fulfillment of that has not truly happened where everyone's seeking after the Lord, where the full land and the full promise has been given to them. Israel has never in its entire history been to the full extent of the land that God has promised them. But they will in the future when the Lord brings them back into the land. And why has the Lord allowed this to happen to his people, his chosen people? Well, because there's repercussions for walking away from him. And that's what we see with the nation of Israel even to this day. The corporate promise, yet God has never left them nor forsaken them. When was the last time you met an Ammonite? When was the last time you met a Philistine? Any of the other tribes at that point? Israel is the only country on the face of the earth that has lost its identity in the land and come back to that land and been restored, not once, but twice. It's a miracle. It's supernatural. And yet, we still see the promises of God. Now, let's make those personal applications as a Christian. The Bible says in Galatians, God is not mocked. That as, he, that as you sow, that shall you also reap. And at any given time, we are reaping the consequences of bad choices. Let's pick one a little more funny. I really wish I had listened to my um, mom and my family and the adults in my life that said, do good in school. It wasn't fun to do good in school. I'd rather be the rebellious, funny teenager in my classes and barely make it by. If I could go back in time, if you could go back in time, would you have done differently in school? Would you have done differently in your career, in your first job, if you could go back in time? But we have to reap what we sowed. In my case, I reaped being stupid, and I have to pay the punishment for my dumb, dumb responses, by dumb actions. So the punishment is not God has, he hates me, 
He doesn't want to bless me. He wants to ruin me. God can't even be, he must not be real because he allowed me to do those things. No, the answer is the just and loving God has allowed me to exist in the proof of his love, the Bible says, is he gave his only begotten son. And as they say in English, you make your bed, you lie in it. And sometimes the Lord has miraculously taken consequences away from me. And other times he said, to me anyway, because this is how he talks to me. Lord, uh, son, life's going to be painful if you're going to be that dumb. And that's what happens. So what's the, what's the point for us? See, the world wants to blame God for anything bad. And they want to take all of the onus, all the decisions off the person. It's like having a rope bridge across a ravine. And it says, stay on the bridge. And there's two rope lines, and all you got to do is hold hand on this one and this one and walk straight across. Oh, but no. No, some people want to swing back and forth on the rope bridge. And the other people around them are saying, don't do that. It's dumb. You're going to die. Some people fall off the rope bridge. And they say, well, how come you can fall off the rope bridge? Why did they allow you to fall off the rope bridge? Who put this ravine here? Or the rest of us would just be like, I think the sign says, just walk across it, and as long as I stay on this path, everything will be fine. Well, God gave the nation of Israel these promises and said, stay with me, and you will be prosperous, and I will bless you. If you don't, there will be punishment. And it's going to be terrifying. It's going to be terrible, and you're going to be a witness. Why? Because you are assigned to the whole world. But I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm always going to be there for you. And it's easy for the world, for people to start criticizing God. Why do you allow this? Why do you allow this? Why did you make this happen? Why can't you just, why did you put a rope bridge? Why can't you just put a plastic tube so nobody can come out? In fact, why don't you make it so it blasts us across the plastic tube? We won't even have to walk. Or you could just walk across the bridge and obey. It is just more proof of our rebellious, sinful nature that we need to be born again. The nation of Israel shows to us that no one can do it in their own strength. And that's what the Bible tells us. The law, the Old Testament, the promises of God are a schoolmaster that leads man to Christ. It just shows us in our rebellion and in our uh, sinfulness and in our fallen nature, we need Jesus. We can't do it without him. Anything good and perfect comes from above and comes from him. The enemies of the Lord want to say that everything evil comes from God. That's Satan just changing and corrupting the truth. We are the problem, not God. But why? 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 Why can't he do it like this? Why can't he do this? Why did he pick the nation of Israel? Why did he allow them to go through this stuff? Why did we fall? Why did we have all these different areas that we struggle in? Why can't he just take it away from us so we don't do it anymore? Well, that's why we saved verse 29 for you. Verse 29. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Now, what's he talking about here? I use this verse a lot. Now, we're going to talk about it in its context, and then we're going to have an application. In its context, he's talking to the nation of Israel who's crossing over the Jordan. He's saying all these things that we're going through are a sign 
Now, we don't know how that, what that all means. Speaking of the future hope that is in Jesus Christ that was going to be revealed, the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed, or excuse me, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. They work together. I almost really botched that one up. And there are mysteries. There are things that we don't understand why. There are a lot of things that I've gone through in my life and in my family we've gone through together. I say, I don't, I don't know. But when I get before the Lord, it's not that I'm going to demand answers from him. It's not that he's going to explain everything to me. But when I am in the presence of almighty God in all that he is, I, all those questions are going to vanish because I'm just not going to care. Because compared to his glory and his love and his presence, anything that we went through will pale in comparison to that. But we do have to remember there are things, there are areas in our Christian walk where we will not have answers. There are things that we're going to do. And we say, why did we do that? There are things that God's going to do. And we're going to be like, why did you do that? There are going to be deep mysteries of God that we cannot reach. We don't have the faculties to even understand it. And that's why it says in Isaiah 55, verse 8 through 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. But this is the important thing, and this is what all of us need to take home. We never get to an area of Scripture or life or a difficulty that I don't understand something. I stick to what I do understand what I do know. When I get to a life crisis, that point where I'm broken, I in my flesh cannot go any farther. In reason, in emotion, in, in spirit, I'm going to stick to what I do know. God is a loving, righteous, perfect judge, and all things will work together for the good for those who love him. That his proof of love for me is not my present condition or situation or health, His proof of his love for me is that he gave his only begotten son. And that in faith in him alone, I have eternal salvation. And so we're going to stick to what we do know. And we're going to cling to that by faith. And then when he decides to reveal things, he will. Now we're going to spend the rest of this evening in prayer. Just spending time with him as we do every Wednesday night, closing out this hour. We just want to pray one at a time loud enough that we can all hear and agree together. I can't stop you from praying silently, so go ahead. The Lord leads you. Let's go before him. Father, we thank you for your word this evening. We thank you for teaching us the falsehoods of replacement theology, Lord, but also, just more importantly, no matter how bad we are, no matter how far we fall, you will not leave us because of your son. We thank you that you used Israel as an illustration But we thank you even more for the work that you're doing in each and every one of our lives. We pray that you would refresh us and teach us and equip us. And we pray that you would lead us in prayer this evening in Jesus' name. Amen.